Welcome to the Tuesday edition of Unexpected Points. We're going to wrap up all of week 17, including an interesting, you could say, Monday night football matchup between the Browns and the Steelers. Uh, we're also going to touch on a bit all of the adjusted scores, things that happened and narratives out there that may be against what we believe really happened in these games. Let's get to it. Ben, welcome back. For those watching, I, I commented earlier. Now you're in a you're in a new location. You're being shuttled around. I think. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're keeping me on my toes, right? Like I mean, CIA I, I moving from sites, location to location. I think right. I think is what's what's right. going on at this point. So good to see. You. I am back, um, as you can see here in in the splendor of my studio. So hopefully the mic sounds better. I have Sashi over my shoulder. Uh, he was probably yes. not enjoying what what he saw. Um, looking down from above, <laughs> RIP Sashi, looking down from above uh, what happened with the Browns last night. So we'll get into all of Week 17. Let's go ahead and start with Monday Night Football, since that's the most recent thing. Uh, this is like taking your medicine here in podcasting form. Right. We're gonna Let's just take our medicine here, let's get through that game, and then move on to the rest of the, the week that, that mattered. So the just, just to go over the parameters again for what we do here, we're going to give some background info just mostly with whatever the spread was in this game, the betting spread, to get an idea of who was favored going into it, what was the actual score, and then what was my adjusted score, which accounts a little bit more for success rate versus downweighting outlier plays, which makes some adjustments for turnover-worthy plays versus actual turnovers, drops, uh, special teams, it, it discounts, a, a bunch of things like that that go into it. So for this Cleveland-Pittsburgh uh, game, the line... Looks like it closed at minus one. It was minus two in some places for Pittsburgh being the two, one or two point favorite. Of course, before the Bengals victory, which we will talk about second in the biggest game of the week, before that, there was not only were was Cleveland favored, they were three and a half point favorite. And that was actually one of my best bets, props, props to me, was to take the Steelers plus three and a half. You know, I didn't even think about it at the time, but there really was like asymmetric risk that was in your favor here being that it wouldn't have moved if the Chiefs won the Chiefs closed as three and a half point favorite so it wasn't like they were enormous favorites and you got a lot of closing line value here although that hasn't been working out so hot for for, for, for people this year uh, final score 26 14 Pittsburgh my adjusted score has it actually closer to about an even ish sort of game maybe one or two points towards Pittsburgh at about 18 to 16. So, first off, I want you to admit whether or not, Ben, did you watch this entire game? I watched it. I don't know if I can say that I watched it really closely in the second half, but I was yeah. uh, definitely interested at least in Baker Mayfield going over 1.5 passing touchdowns, which he did uh, for me. So I will definitely take that, but not not a great performance from Baker in general. I do think uh, the most interesting takeaway, kind of like you touched on a little bit, uh, was the spread movement, right? Like you yeah. said, Cleveland got all the way out to a three and a half point favorite. I think even day of the game, Pittsburgh at one point was a minus three favorite. Okay. Uh, people kind of yeah, bought back and, and people kind of bought back into Cleveland, right? So there's this like weird dynamic of motivation and, you know, Big Ben having his last send-off game and all these other things that kind of worked for Pittsburgh, uh, at least moving out to what I would consider as a significant number as a field goal differential. But 
All in all, it, it didn't matter from a Cleveland perspective. I have to give you props for backing the Steelers. I was definitely not on their side. I had some, I had some Cleveland plus three, uh, so I got the closing line value that uh, apparently is going to be feeding my family here uh, for the rest of the week because <laughs> it was nothing. Nothing else really, you know, came through from the Cleveland's perspective outside of Baker Mayfield's 1.5 passing touchdowns. But what did what did he have? Like minus 0.5 EPA per pass attempt. Obviously, uh, one really I would say poor. Uh, interception and it's just yeah it's yeah. a disaster I mean, he, he for Sasha. back he right? got back to being okay overall as you mentioned he got those two touchdowns uh right. later that ended up pumping him up i mean at one point uh 1.5 completions looked like it was gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be difficult right. he was, he was four of 15 he was four yeah. of 15 at one point during this game and i made a comment that when he was four of 15 he was still averaging way more yards per attempt than ben roethlisberger was even right. though ben roethlisberger was completing <laughs> more than 50 percent of his passes i mean roethlisberger had 123 passing yards on 46 attempts right. so 2.7 right. yards per attempt and <laughs> His air yards per completion were only 2.7 yards. So this was just barely trying to throw the ball down the field. I mean, he did throw it down the field a few times, but not close to completing any of those passes. Both of these guys graded in the 40s. It was ugly. Surprisingly, Najee Harris, who that first round draft pick paid off. It all, right. it all, it all, it all, we got owned. Uh, the, the nerds got owned on this one because they had, what are their only couple of good running performances of the season. I think it's only the third time this season that Najee Harris has gone over 100 yards rushing. And in this game, he really made the difference. And of course, one of the differences between my adjusted score and the final score is the fact that he got that late touchdown, which ended up pushing it up a little bit higher here. Uh, Okay, so Browns were already out. We already knew that. I think some of the line movement may have been like, is Baker playing or not? What does that mean about Cleveland trying in this game? Right. I mean, you can look at the results now. It's pretty easy to say they probably should have sat Baker. But I think there is an issue with, like, if he wants to play and you and you, and you force him to sit down, then that becomes a whole issue right. going forward. Right. So, I mean, what do you think about Cleveland's decision here? Next week, Baker's talking about he doesn't know whether he's going to play or not. He's going to have to discuss it with his agent. I don't know if his agent has special medical training to discuss this with, with him. Um I would have been fine if they just like caved the entire season, honestly, on the, even in these last two games, um, especially next next week, because no one has anything to play for. Right. Definitely. I do think like, you know, outside of Philadelphia last year, I do think the Browns are basically the one team that would not necessarily completely throw a game, but they're not they're not going to necessarily try and win here in week 18. But uh, yeah, the, the, the Baker Mayfield experiment in Cleveland seems, you know, all but said and done now. Unfortunately, it just didn't work out. The rest of the team, like, you know, other people say all the time, two for 53, uh, really solid unit. But uh, I'm curious what you think they're actually going to do uh, at the quarterback position here in the offseason, because it seems like they actually have to do, you know, something with with Kevin Stefanski, obviously Case Keenum's not going to be uh, necessarily the 1A guy heading into the training camp next year. So are they drafting somebody? Are they going to be, you know, involved in the trade market? I do think a lot of people think the quarterback market is going to be, you know, somewhat robust from a trading perspective here, at least heading into 2022 as well. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they have to be involved in something. They have to be opportunistic. I think what I'm going to do, though, is maybe I'll I'll leave a little bit for the Friday show. I think I'm going to do on some of these Friday shows is wrap up teams that have been eliminated and kind of yeah. what are we looking at going forward because we can already start thinking about some of these teams maybe this week i'll go i'll go right into the browns as that's the team that i'm most familiar with so i mean just as a preview of that yeah i mean i think they have to be opportunistic but at the same time they have baker on the fifth year option 19 million locked in 
you know, you don't want to be rash in what you do either in, in this situation. That's right. weird. I was looking at his grading and his EPA ranks throughout his career, and it's basically just been up and down. He he graded really well his rookie year. It went in the tank his second year. He graded pretty well last year, and now went back into the tank again. So he's going to be one of those guys where every other year you're going to say, oh, maybe he's the guy, and then every other year you're going to say, oh, we got to get we got to get rid of this guy. Right. So you, you don't necessarily – you shouldn't necessarily expect this performance that we saw this season as the baseline going forward. And at the same time, if he plays well in a season, you can't expect that to be the baseline going forward either. So I think for now, unless you have a great option of moving him – um, because if you're going to take on another contract with him on your roster at the same time, that could also be kind of a, a disaster. So I think being opportunistic is, is really the way to go here. Right, definitely. I agree with you. I mean, they have to, they absolutely have to do something. I just realized, too, Baker Mayfield took nine sacks yesterday. It's just <laughs> yeah. an egregiously poor performance from our perspective, for sure. It well, was, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, it, there's a little bit of the... You know, the, the everyone's trying to get the last lifeboat here in the sinking right. ship. Um, it's not quite like Hugh Jackson, Sashi levels of finger pointing. <laughs> but when Baker was, I, I mean, people are going to make a huge deal about this. I mean, I follow too many people who are like Brown's Twitter people because, you know, like right. the fan Twitter element just goes insane after all of these things and parsing pre- post-game press conferences. So Baker, after the game said specifically that, you know, oh, maybe, you know, our rookie right tackle, you know, Conklin's out, a rookie right tackle should have had more help in that uh, against TJ Watts. And it's like, eh, whatever. I, I see as from my perspective is, yeah, Baker shouldn't be throwing one under the bus, but at the same time, you know, he's a competitor. He's going to say things. It's not a big deal. Other than, The big deal is you're losing, right? You're losing. Right, you're right. underperforming your expectations. So I would think everyone just needs to take a little step back. Um, I'm definitely team Barry slash Stefanski, so I'm not going to necessarily throw him under the bus. I think a lot of people are going to say, well, they should have run the ball more. Maybe you can, but I think the problem is, and it happened on both sides in this game, is having an extremely unsuccessful passing game makes it more difficult to run than you think. Because unless you literally every first and second down run the ball, then having an unsuccessful pass on first or second down precipitates getting into third down, which you almost always have to pass in unless it's very, very short. And then if you can't convert, then you don't get a chance to run again on first and second down the next time. And then so then you're 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 having more drives where two out of three plays end up being passes than end up being runs. It's like you need like a baseline proficiency passing the ball to even be able to generate uh, the run game, unless you're going to go, you know, Patriots snowstorm action and just refuse right. to, to, to pass the ball at all. So that's part of it. Uh, but I was also looking through Baker's numbers. I mean, he was he was pressured 18 times and he took nine sacks. So you can't take a sack on half of your pressures. And all but one of the sacks came with a time to sack of 2.5 or more seconds. There were some that were four. Uh, we're pretty generous on how we grade quarterbacks as far as not giving them credit for for sacks, but we sack, do have a right. stat that's called the, the the sack is is you know on the quarterback, and we gave that we gave four out of nine of those to Baker, so that's a high proportion. We normally only give we normally only grade quarterbacks negatively on something like twenty twenty five percent 
of sacks. So here was closer to 50% of sacks that we graded negatively on Baker. So a lot on Baker here. Maybe some is on Stefanski too. I'm not going to um, absolve him of responsibility. But I think generally, you know, a deep breath, a difficult season, a Bengals team that emerged this year, all these things happened at once and it compiled to make it a tough year for the Browns. Right, right. I mean, you basically summed it up really well. Obviously, obviously they have a lot of pieces in place, but until, you know, and we say this all the time, but until they figure out the quarterback position, uh, I don't see them competing for even a division crown, much less, you know, getting to the Super Bowl out of the AFC with just everybody else that they have uh, are going to have to beat here coming up over the next couple of years. So obviously I have to get the quarterback position right. I don't see any clear answers here right now, but uh, I do think if there's any organization that is going to figure it out, I do think it's going to be the Cleveland Browns. So we'll see what yeah, yeah, it's interesting. You know, maybe I'm just not following Ravens Twitter in the same Ravens sort Twitter of way, but that, right. you know, that's another team that's gone through a pretty big meltdown here, but I'm not really feeling a lot of pressure. Obviously, a lot more injuries played into that situation right. than it did for the Browns. Okay, before we get into the week, and we're going to start with the KC Cincinnati matchup, the biggest matchup of the week. But before we get into that, I just want to quickly mention that the promo code unexpected show love for the pod. Plus, get 25% off any PFF subscription. This is the best um, This is the best promo code, the best offer you're going to get out there right now. Get all of our locked article content. We have a lot of stuff coming up on free agency, on the draft. Obviously, the draft guide is going to be a huge thing going forward. We're going to put together, I think we do better work on the draft than anyone else, modestly, right. I'll say that, than anyone else out there. I'm going to have a lot of pieces I'm going to put out on modeling different positions, uh, not only from a fantasy football perspective, but also from a quote-unquote real football perspective. All that will be available for you, 25% off, promo code UNEXPECTED. Okay, let's get into, like I said, the biggest game of the week. This is a game that I did watch. Uh, the entire thing. I even rewatched it, uh, especially the, the the final sequence. I rewatched right. because there's some galaxy brain theories going on out there about them. Did they try to score? Did they not try to score? But I think they tried to score. And you know what's his name? Uh, uh, Zach Taylor gave no indication in the pre, in the post game press conference that they weren't trying to score. He was like, we, right. we couldn't get in and this and that. So you know, I, it's funny how it's like it's a little bit of this like. Uh, uh, you never, never uh, assigned to malice, which could be explained through what is incompetence. Like, incompetence. It's kind of like yeah. that. Like never. Ex- don't give these guys coaches too much credit on like galaxy braining some great strategy here at the end of the game. Um, but anyway, let's let's get the particulars out of the way first. So, uh, Kansas City closed as a three and a half point favorite. Uh, again, I'm just racking them up here. The the W's here because uh, we got that as a best bet at plus five. Although. You know, Cincinnati won 34-31. My adjusted score, and this is one of the two scores that's quite a bit different than the final score. My adjusted score is actually has Kansas City being 28-23. to So it wasn't the best, best bet there, according to my adjusted score. But we, we take our Ws any way that we can get right, them right. here. <laughs> and I'll preface this discussion, because I know there's probably going to be some Bengals fans who are soaking it in this week. And... They, maybe they're on YouTube. They're clicking straight to – they want to hear every piece of content that they can get on this Bengals-Chiefs matchup because they're hearing a lot of good things. Joe Burrow's, you know, top five quarterback. MVP. Uh, MVP candidate. Everything else is going out there. So I will preface this conversation with saying that, you know, a few, I, I told Bengals fans to be humble a number of weeks ago. I think it was six, seven weeks ago when – they were kind of, you know, 
they were they were smelling you know they're smelling the roses and everything that was going on at that point early earlier on in the season. Then I flipped around when they lost four of six to try to pump them up with the fact that they had all these young players here. So you know, as is my brand. I'm, I, I, this may not be the most enjoyable experience to listen to me talk about this game from a Bengals perspective, only because we're trying to combat the narratives and put a realistic spin on what happened here. So right. I do have KC as being a little bit better in this in this game. Um, what did you think of this just overall? Um, how much are you buying of the Bengals as being a real top-tier team and a playoff potential Super Bowl type of team right now right right so i i think you know probably even heading into this game heading into the season i was high on the Bengals to say the least i did write them up you know to win the afc only North a six and a half on. point a six and a half uh win total right for six them. and a half win total so the they obviously season. exceeded that uh you know really low expectations i thought they were a dark horse candidate to win the afc north i wrote that up in an article basically last february so i like the Bengals heading into the season I think right now I do want to pump the brakes on them being a legitimate contender in the AFC. Obviously, this was a signature win for them, but this continued to be the way in which they win. And maybe this is their brand now. Maybe this is sustainable. But, uh, you know, the big play shots to Jamar Chase consistently winning battles where, you know, in one and in one-on-one coverage where it does seem like the the cornerback is there, right? And then at the very last second, uh, Jamar Chase is able to kind of separate, make a big play downfield uh, and get them. That is basically what their almost entire offense has devolved into, especially in this matchup. Obviously, Jamar Chase had three touchdowns, uh, two really big plays. Daniel Sorensen one time got really burned badly. Uh, Another time, Jamar Chase basically looked like, uh, you know, was was surrounded by three defenders and somehow ended up breaking free and scoring a 76-yard touchdown, I think, is, you know, how long that one was. So it seems like somewhat unsustainable the way in which their offense functions defensively. I don't think they're, you know, 100% there. I don't think... Uh, I don't think this was so much a win from the Bengals' perspective as much as it was a loss from Kansas City. Three points in the second half. I do think Kansas City was essentially dominating the game in the first half. Made some questionable decisions, especially down the stretch. Uh, and I do think that I, you know, I think you know, outside of you know, two turnover-worthy plays that I think uh, Patrick Mahomes had, he was the better quarterback. Joe Burrow continues to kind of do these things where he, you know, takes a lot of sacks under pressure. He had four today Chris Jones was kind of taking over the game in the first half thankfully he was able to kind of escape the pocket on a couple scrambles in the second half in order to extend drives but if he takes sacks in those situations uh you know essentially the game is over but I I think the Chiefs let this one slip away more so than the fact that the Cincinnati Bengals actually won it so I'm not overly inclined to say that they are uh capable of competing with a team like the Chiefs or Bills here uh, in the AFC playoff race once that's kind of happening. So that's that's my initial takeaway on it. And I'm curious where, where you kind of evaluate their performance and how you actually see them, you know, stacking up here. In yeah, the yeah. Right I mean, now. I think I'm going to I'm gonna start positive. I'll start positive. Maybe I'll do Never like the... Never start positive. Maybe I'll do like the... You're supposed to do when you're managing like the compliment sandwich, which is you compliment, then, uh, yeah. you critique, and then you throw a compliment on the end. On right. the end. So I'll say that... They are relying on the big plays. You mentioned that. Uh, Chase's two touchdowns, the blown coverage, I think, by Sorensen. I, I don't really know. You know, it looked like a pretty pretty bad uh, play by him on the second touchdown that he got and the first touchdown. Those are the two biggest positive plays by expected points of the 2,000 offensive plays that happened <laughs> right. over, over the week. So 
Very big plays there. They've been getting those um, consistently. They converted a third and 27 also, which was a huge, huge. I mean, it's about as big of a play as you can make. That's a non-touchdown type of conversion. So I think that that's true, that they, they have that going on where – and we've seen Chase this season with the dominance early in the season, the disappearance – kind of mid-season, and then now coming back and, and putting up 266 yards in this game. But I will say that on a week-by-week -week basis, I think it's easy to discount what they do. I mean, for instance, in this game, the Chiefs had a 58% success rate offensively, and the Bengals were only at 44%. So right. it was like a 97th percentile type of game for the Chiefs for their success, and only in less than – it wasn't even a 50, 50th percentile type of game for – for the Bengals, and I think it's easy to discount that on a game-by-game -game basis, but they do clearly have players, especially Jamar Chase, that allow them to have a better chance at getting these explosive plays. It's just not going to happen necessarily that consistently. So when it comes to something like the playoffs, what I would say for them is they probably do have a fatter tail than some others do as right. far as if they can stack, I don't know if they can stack four, but if they can stack two, three of these really outlier high efficiency to lower success rate type of games like they had against the Chiefs, they can win games and they can beat anyone in those sorts of matchups. Can they stack four of them? I don't know. But I would also say like their their median type of outcome of how many wins they'll have in the playoffs is probably lower than some people think. Like they have a better chance than some people think of being bounced out in week one where, right. where these things don't come together. Um, they, they had huge plays on third down. I also think the matchup with the Chiefs, I'm not getting too much into hashtag uh, film here, but like the third and 27, I, <laughs> it's like you're going you're gonna to bring the house. I mean, I understand bringing the house if it's like third and 11, but it seemed like there they were some they plays. Were there were some yeah, plays where they, they were trying to prevent them from getting into field goal range, exactly. but instead gave up the third and 27 by singling up guys like Jamar Chase. I mean, if you look at this, this particular game, too, it's not just the efficiency, but it was the fact they had so many yards after the catch, so many yards on contested catches. 361 of Burrow's 466 passing yards were either after the catch or on contested catches. So these are things that are going to happen sometimes when you have those types of players like Jamar Chase, but he's not always going to go four for five on contested catches for, you know, 80 yards and multiple first downs. It's just not always going to happen. Sometimes he's going to go one for five on contested catches. Right, right. I mean, going back to the third and 27 play, obviously they were trying to keep them out of field goal range. It was not the correct call from Steve Signal, in my opinion. Of course, we don't want to get into hashtag, you know, critiquing play calling situations, <laughs> especially defensively, right? But uh, overall, that was where... That was where the game was really lost for Kansas City. Obviously, they made some other poor decisions and things down the stretch. But uh, I agree with you. The the maybe you know it's obviously been an outlier season for Jamar Chase in general, especially in that you know contested catch, big play sort of separation capability that he has. But it still doesn't seem like it's actually going to be sustainable. And if you know, and if that falls incorrectly at times during the playoff race, I just don't see the Bengals being good enough outside of him offensively or defensively to actually beat a team. So, so I think it's, I think I definitely agree with you. I do think that their, you know, median outcome uh, is definitely a lot lower than people think. Of course they have, you know, some, some, some distributions where they do end up rattling off four straight games and getting really hot. And, you know, Joe Burrow throws a bunch of deep, perfect passes to Jamar Chase and they end up, you know, kind of getting those explosive plays and having that be enough to beat some teams. But, uh, and in the most likely of scenarios, I just don't think that that's actually going to play out like that.
Okay, so again, let's go. Let's get back to some positives here for the Bengals. So the one positive, a big positive that we've seen is uh, I and others have been begging them to pass the ball more often, despite right. the fact that Burrow's taking a lot of sacks. So what we have seen is they're a team that was under expectation as far as their dropback rate um, this entire season. Yet the last two games, they threw, they dropped back. Uh, 16% over expectation week 16, 13% over expectation week 17. So, again, huge results for Burrow these last two weeks, and they're leaning into that, which I think is a very, very good thing for the playoffs. Uh, Jamar Chase, we talked about the 266 yards. Now he's leading rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year odds where he was back before. I'm like very, very much on Chase. I was kind of on Chase even before this explosion because I like rewarding especially in a in a in a award that doesn't specifically call out value i like right. rewarding superstar talent over like uh, a median you know, outcome so, or something yeah over someone who's playing like an average quarterback like like right. mac jones you could say is playing so so i'll say that for him here um but i do think we got to get into all the game management stuff this is you know this is going to be our our forte uh the you know nerd talk here um, so first thing I want to mention is Andy, Andy Reid, and the one. Okay, this is like a maybe it's a minor thing, but first drive of the game, fourth and one, they're they're on their own. I don't know what it was, thirty something. This is a three and out. They decide to punt the ball there. This is about a two and a half, three percent win probability loss according to what the numbers are. But again, in the context of the game, you're playing another potentially explosive offense. The Chiefs only had eight possessions in this game. So if you take that possession aside, so they give away this one possession, you only have seven possessions left. On the rest of those seven possessions, they went touchdown, 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 uh, punt, field goal, punt, I think. Right, uh, right. Regardless, they went. They only had three possessions in the second half, right? That's part of the reason they only scored three points in the second half. There was also a drop and a penalty, which killed, two, which killed the two drives that they didn't, they didn't score on. Uh, even the field goal one, it was like maybe they could have gone for that uh, in, in that one there, but not necessarily. That one was was probably field goal was the right call. But again, just like giving away these possessions in these games, it is going to hurt you when you're playing in another offense like that. So that's number that's number one. Taylor also punted on the first. Uh, Zach Taylor also punted on right. their first drive on a similar fourth and one. But still, with Kansas City in particular, like you should they should definitely be going for for this here. And number two, and this is I think this is the, probably the most interesting because that, that's like a no brainer type of thing. Um, like near the end of the game, the more I'm looking to this, this, I'm getting more and more on the team that when the Bengals had the ball, they convert the third and one from the two yard line, Kansas city's two yard line tie game. They have it first and goal less than a yard at that point. The two minute warning hits Kansas city has two timeouts. I'm getting more and more on the side of the fact that they should have let the Bengals score. I agree that the way things played out and the fact that they were one illegal hands to the face away from potentially getting the ball back with a tie game makes it look like they made probably the right move. But I think when you weigh in a bunch of different factors here, like you have the certainty of getting the ball back, knowing that the other teams in these situations, according to the numbers that I crunched, the other teams in this, these situations, they score a touchdown 90% of the time when they have the ball near the goal line. They get a field goal another 5% of the time, and then the rest of the time there's a fumble or there's a turnover or something else happens. So if you could say to yourself, this would be my rubric, if you could say to yourself, 
Two minutes left, two timeouts. Do we think we have a 10% chance of scoring a touchdown in this situation? If the answer is yes in that, then I would say go ahead and let them score because they're going to score anyway. And if they right. score on second or third down, you're down timeouts in those situations. If they're, or fourth down, you're down timeouts and extra time in those situations. And even if they score, even if you get them, held them to a field goal, you're still losing two timeouts and you're losing – and it'll be at like 50-something seconds left, and you'll need right. to score three points. So it's like three points with 50-something seconds left and no timeouts versus seven points with two minutes left and two timeouts. I'm not sure you're in that much better of a situation, even if you hold them to a field goal. So if you, you really just are looking for a turnover on downs or something like that, I don't know. I feel like they should have just let them score in that situation at least give Patrick Mahomes a chance. Yeah, letting them score is definitely the correct play. Obviously, even with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback, he didn't have the football basically the last seven minutes of the game. Uh, and that's just, an, that's just an egregious situation from Andy Reid's perspective. I think they absolutely need to let them score uh, as soon as they got that first down to move it from third and one to like first and goal at the one yard line. There's just, there's just not enough outcomes where you actually end up stopping them in any sort of thing. And even, even getting a field goal and stopping them and holding them to a field goal with 45 seconds left, I think is pr- maybe even a worse situation than getting the ball back with two minutes left and two timeouts, uh, which is what they would have had if they would have just let them score. So I, I don't think there's really any argument to say otherwise for why they actually shouldn't score. So I can't even disagree with you on that one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things where maybe first down, I don't know. It's one of those things like, hey, okay, they're, they're going to score 60% of the time on first down normally in these situations. So 60% of the time, you're going to be in the same exact situation that you would have been if you just let them score. Right. And then so maybe you can use the knowledge on that first down as to see what happens as to what you want to do going forward. But I, I think it was a tough one. Now, Zach Taylor's decision to go for it on fourth down I don't know. That one was a little bit more of a coin flip. I know that by the same philosophy that we're talking about, it would have been really rough if they kicked a field goal and then watched Mahomes drive all the way down the field and score a touchdown (laughs) and win in regulation. Although, I I don't know how often a team is really going for the touchdown. If they only have... um, you know, 45 seconds left and no timeouts, how often they're actually able to get the touchdown as opposed to kick a field goal in those situations because you need to stop the clock, you need to spike the ball to get the field goal unit out there, all that sort of stuff. So I don't know if the, that that was a realistic sort of thing. It's probably going to overtime. Would have been the worst-case scenario kicking the field goal there. Um, but what did you think about that fourth down call? Especially, again, we don't want to get into team play calling here, but... I'm wondering about the pass in that situation. I mean, they did get the penalty, which they probably are not going to get on a run. run but right. your chance of converting with a third of a yard, maybe, in that circumstance, I don't care how many times you got stuffed in a row, you still got to be better running the ball or sneaking right. it or doing a Drew Brees over the top than it is just straight dropping back to pass and throwing it, right? Right. I mean, so outside of the play calling situation, I actually do think going for it on fourth and goal is – uh, a decent decision, probably the right uh, decision from my perspective, because the Chiefs can't do anything if they don't get that fourth that fourth down conversion, right? If the Chiefs get the ball back at the one yard line with 45 seconds left, they're not going to score either, right? They actually have to run probably. Well, one I or don't two see. I, I'm not. I'm not. See, they have to, they so have to run sure one, about that. Well, they I have mean, to run one or two sneaks probably to get out of the goal line. That obviously is going to take up some time. I don't think you really want Patrick Mahomes dropping back there uh, and potentially getting a safety or something like that as well. Yeah, either, yeah, right? yeah. It depends so on how think, conservative. You're right. Andy right. might be pretty conservative there. They might try to. Yeah. So I think worst case scenario, if they don't convert there, it's going to overtime anyway. So I I don't mind the decision because I also think that. Uh, 
uh, and this was something that Eric Eager brought up on the forecast, but it's basically getting that penalty is not something that people are factoring in. Once you get that penalty, the game is essentially over, right? You can run, you know, three more plays, kneel down, do exactly what they did, kick the field goal as time expired. So the game is over if they get a penalty. The game is essentially over if they convert. And the worst case scenario is that they're going to overtime if they don't convert. So I don't I don't mind uh, them playing for the win basically on fourth down. I do think that was, you know, from my perspective, probably the correct decision-making process. Yeah, yeah. The only thing that I would say about the... Um... The and again with the with the pass call, uh, right? Like like I I still think you're you're probably weighing what happened on the first in the last three plays a little bit too too heavily. But the right. second part about it is if you look at the downside in that situation, like your chance of a turnover is higher. And if you turn the ball over in the end zone, all of a sudden Kansas City has the ball in the, the twenty yard line. Right, right. Or if you take a sack, then all of a sudden Kansas City has the ball. Um, you know, yeah, like the on, the, yard line on the 10 yard line versus yeah. if you run the ball, you're, you're assured to really pin them in. So that's right. another reason why I'm thinking if you're talking about just purely limiting downside, like running the ball would have been my preferred choice there, despite the fact that they had trouble in there. But again, you know, they got the team, play, yeah, they, team play calling. They got the penalty, and I was surprised too because they had they had the offsetting holding penalties basically, and then they went back to almost the same exact passing play on fourth down again or something like that, which was uh, I thought probably the more egregious. And I do agree. Well, they didn't even they roll Burrow them. out too, which again right, I yeah, thought yeah. would be an interesting choice in that circumstance. I know with, maybe you don't yeah. want to limit him to half of the field, but God, they had especially him sneaking. How, <laughs> yeah, especially how often they, especially how often he was taking sacks basically under pressure. I was surprised that they didn't roll him out or getting him at least somewhat moving because. Uh, at least in that situation, then he could at least throw the football away. I know you don't want to see him throw the football away on fourth down, but going back to it, I think pinning them down at the one-yard line is uh, not the worst of outcomes for the Cincinnati Bengals in the, in the worst-case scenario. So, uh, yeah, but I yeah. agree. No, I, think, I, can I, think, agree. I can agree with that. And plus, you know, Andy Reid, he's probably going to be a little more conservative. He's going to say, let's take this to overtime, and we'll we'll win in we overtime. we got the better because, offense, yeah, exactly. Because, yeah, we're so in the better I, offense. And then, they'll, then they just don't get the ball in overtime and give exactly. up a touchdown on the, exactly, <laughs> on the first play. Exactly. So, um, you know, okay, big, big picture implications here. We all know the Bengals win the division with the win. Uh, the Browns were out already. So the Chiefs now, they need the Titans to lose to the Texans. And then they need to beat the Broncos in Denver. Um, yeah, so probably unlikely. Probably not going to get the number one seed. All of that is lost here. But I still think, according to the betting odds, they have the best chance of winning the AFC, despite the fact that the Titans are pretty locked into the number one seed at this point yeah definitely i mean titans are what like the worst number one seed we've had in quite some time basically Titans so. fans are salty though titans right. fans are salty so <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna come after us i'm gonna try to put a positive spin on the titans again don't do team that I, that I trash that i trash all the time okay let's get into some of these other games that we can get through a little bit more quickly let's go ahead to sunday night football uh 12 and a half point favorite were the green bay packers that line moved by a bunch i don't know six seven points something like that once Kirk Cousins' bubble uh, was bursted. and Plexiglass, plexiglass, oh, plexiglass, right? Excuse me, excuse me. Yeah, maybe he needed to double bubble, like he right. double mask. Maybe if he double bubbled, that he would have been. Actually, I don't want to make too, too light of the situation. I hope he's feeling fine and everything there. Uh, Green Bay wins 37 to 10. My adjusted score at 38 to 9, so pretty close to what 
the, the thing is done here. So the Packers clinch the bye. They're done as far as needing to do anything this season. Rodgers pretty much clinched the MVP, I think. He doesn't really even need to play in Week 18 to get that. My only question on this game is, and again, this is a game that I do not watch in closely. How did Sean Mannion end up with a, a 70, almost a 70 grade in this game? Because <laughs> it was pretty ugly offensively. Right, yeah, negative point four two EPA per pass attempt. I mean, I think it was mainly the great the Garrett Bradbury uh, play that kind of boosted. Oh up yeah, Sean yeah. that was awesome. Maybe because that, that awesome. was that was that was a nice you know conversion for Sean Manning. I would say probably the best play offensive play. I'm not sure how he graded so well either. Maybe it was the fact that did he take uh, what what do you have two sacks basically? I don't know. I don't, I I, yeah. I I watched this game relatively closely. I did say on our podcast last week. Aaron Rodgers owns the Vikings. You should bet the Packers at minus six and a half. So if you did that, you got not only closing line value, you also got a winning ticket. So I'll and then you went and infected here. Kirk Cousins right, uh, right, right. At, right afterwards to get right. that done. So so props to you on that one. The only thing that I want to mention here, and again, I, w- I want to be able to move past some of these games pretty quickly, is I feel like Devontae Adams, even though most people probably say he's the best receiver in the NFL or, you know, cups in that discussion, obviously, now since he's he's the guy here. But I do think he's being slept on a little bit because when I did these numbers for non-quarterback MVP, like his season last season was actually stronger than cup season this season, according to my numbers for how much value that he was adding. But he missed. He missed a couple of games there. He missed a game this year. So if you look at his numbers for 2020 and 2021, I mean, he's first in receptions by a couple over Cooper Cup, despite missing those three games. He's second in yards. He's only 30-something yards behind Justin Jefferson, despite missing three games. He's way ahead in touchdowns, first downs. He's 2.9 yards per route run, where I think Cup's the second closest guy, where he's more like 2.6, 2.7. And then his drop rate is only 2% too, so he's one of the top guys there. So this has been one of the best like two-year stretch runs for Devontae Adams, playing on in an MVP offense. Just remember, this is like an MVP number one passing offense the last two years and you look around and it's not quite that will smith meme of uh, fresh prince where he's looking around there's nobody there but there's really not a whole lot in that skill in those skill positions for aaron Rodgers to throw it to um really backing up the mvp an mvp campaign multiple years in a row Right. I mean, I'll, you know, at the wide receiver position, especially, and they haven't gotten basically anything from the tight end position really either. So it's basically been Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon to a lesser extent, especially in the passing game. A.J. Yeah, Dillon's Adams, thighs, whatever their name is. A.J. Dillon's ties. The, the, the Quadzilla and yeah. <laughs> the Quadzilla and whatever the other quad master or whatever he calls right. them. Yeah. <laughs> He has names for his thighs. I didn't name him. He had names his thighs. You didn't name him? You didn't name him? I thought you were naming him right then or something. I have nothing more to say about the Vikings outside of the fact that they need to fire basically everybody and and hopefully trade Kirk Cousins back to Washington or something. I don't know what's going to happen. Like, is anyone trading for Kirk Cousins? Like, like, isn't your best case scenario that you can just offload him? Like, you're just trying to get rid of that contract. You're not getting anything for Kirk Cousins, right? Right, 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 right. I don't know. Maybe you will. I don't know. I don't know. I don't don't think you're going to get much, to be honest with you. Maybe the Steelers overpay or something. There are obviously some teams that are going to be in the market for a new quarterback, but... Yeah, they're not going to really get anything outside of dumping a salary, in my opinion. They just they just need to actually bottom out, do the rebuild properly, get down to the Detroit Lions level, hire somebody like Dan Campbell, and then we'll see what actually happens here in five years. Yeah, maybe, only, maybe the Vikings are another team. Maybe I can bring you on to talk about the Vikings, okay, what they need okay, to do. Okay. Rebuilding is one of these teams. I, I have a feeling, though, someone's going to point out the fact that Kirk Cousins is fifth in PFF grading so far this season when you're trying to offload him. Like, hey, can you get this? Look at this, fifth. Right. Like, come on, guys. <laughs> uh, let's go for it. So we'll, we'll enter the conversation there 
Okay, another game I think we can get through pretty quickly. The Falcons at the Buffalo Bills. Bills closed as 14-point favorites. Uh, Push City here, 29-15 Buffalo. My numbers had it 25-14, to 14, so a little bit more narrow. Ugly game-ish. Uh, Josh Allen had some upside, but he also had some of the downside, but the Bills get the job done. And if you're going to have a... Uh, like like a bingo uh, score for what could possibly happen in this game. Matt Ryan, uh, them closing out the game, basically ending their chances of winning this game because of a Matt Ryan taunting call on a rushing touchdown where he gets into uh, a safety's face would have been one of the one of the last things that I would have suspected oh, ended up playing playing out in this game, but that's that's basically what ended up happening is uh, Matty Ice got a little too pumped up here, and that pretty much closed the game for them here. You got anything to add about this one, or can we just kind of move on and say Buffalo, you're gonna have to play Buffalo's gonna have to play a little bit better than what we yeah, saw. Josh, Allen, I mean Josh Allen's gonna have to play better, especially yeah. from a passing perspective, right? This was like uh, the exact opposite of how we saw them play last year. Pretty heavily emphasis on the run. Point three EPA per rush attempt. I think they were definitely uh, really poor from a passing perspective. I think Josh Allen obviously three turnovers, the one pick six, negative point three eight EPA per pass attempt. So I mean, not not the sustainable way that they're going to win football games here coming up in the playoffs. So I think maybe that's the only concerning takeaway. Yeah. Uh, but I, I I don't know. I I do think at points you know Josh Allen can kind of do uh, a lot of things that not not too many other quarterbacks do on the football field. So hopefully he gets back to that point. But there's definitely some uh, regression trends happening for the Buffalo Bills in 2021. Yeah, I mean, it's good that they got the running game going somewhat yeah. um, to yeah. have something. But again, that's just more like a. Uh, talking points like than, a consolation a reality, prize, yeah. than a reality for them. And I do think their defense, their, especially their pass defense, I mean, continues to prove on a week-by-week basis that they are pretty legit. And that is a difference in this team. This team seems to really genuinely be playing better on that side of the ball. Again, you come up against, you know, the wrong week against Joe Burrow or against Patrick Mahomes or, or, or against uh, Justin Herbert um or against ryan Tannehill, maybe right, <laughs> right. then maybe it doesn't really matter but um that's at least something they can hang their hat on a little bit uh okay probably the most the least impactful uh game of the week uh other than in its horror for mike glennon was the giants at the chicago bears bears close as six and a half point favorites they win 29 to 3 my adjusted score is actually 18 to 12 <laughs> which is shocking. I don't know how I even got up to 12. I may have to check my my systems on that one. But I had to keep Glennon off of, like, any of the illustrations, the graphs, the visualizations I put out this week because he was so far – he was breaking the scale for everything there. Negative 2.2 EPA per play. uh, Negative 10 net passing yards in this game. He had a 21 grade. So he was, like, 20 points lower in grade than anyone. And I think the lowest EPA per play was, like, half a point, and he was 2.2 points EPA per play here. Uh, The worst game in EPA per play that we've seen over the last few years, and the second worst game was, like, half as bad. Uh, The worst grade that we've seen for years. Uh, the last thing I want to just mention before we move on here and and, and get your your words, you need to know if you need if you have anything to add to this. I have nothing. I have nothing to add. Just you know, <laughs> hey, you know the, the numbers speak. You know, I'm just going to put these out here. When starting Andy Dalton and uh, Nick Foles, the Bears are four and two this season, and when starting Justin Fields, they're two and eight. So, 
you know, Matt Nagy, does he deserve a chance with the veteran quarterback? <laughs> that's, the, that's, that's the question. Many people are thinking that. Many people are thinking that and wondering that after this performance. So just saying, just putting that out there to the Justin Fields apologist, uh, you know, something to chew on, something to think about at night. Um, okay, this was an impactful game, but I'm not sure I have a whole lot to say about it. And this is the Cardinals at America's team, Dallas Cowboys. Dallas closes as... Actually, I do have something to say about this. They closed as six and a half point favorites. Arizona wins 25-22. And this was the biggest flip around. I actually had Dallas being better 28 to 16. So that's a huge really? differential there. Wow. Well, 53% success rate for Dallas, only a 39% success rate. Uh, they had a better EPA per play than the Cardinals, but the Cardinals had these absurd, like fake punt convert helmet catch, punt conversion that they had there. Uh, no turnovers for the Cardinals, and there was a lost fumble for Dak there. And the Cardinals averaged, or, or I should say, Kyler Murray was negative EPA per early down whenever he was passing, and then he had over one EPA per late down on his play versus right. negative on early downs. So it was really just converting these handful of plays that they really needed to convert there. At the same time, Dallas not being able to convert in those situations despite having this high success rate. So I'm not as down on Dak coming out of this. I've heard some people say that this was a little bit troubling for the fact that he he didn't perform well again after a good game and a complete wipeout the weeks before. But, you know, the prior weeks of that, he was struggling a bit. So maybe I'm not, maybe my only takeaway from this is, yeah, Dallas is out of that number one seed uh, now. It, it, that, that dream is dead. But I don't think the offense was maybe as bad as some other people think after this game. Right, definitely. I don't think, like, I don't think we need to bury uh, Dallas in any sort of manner in this, you know, from this match, but I do agree with you. Basically some outlier, outlier player f- specifically from Kyler Murray. I don't think, you know, the Cardinals are anything that's going to be all that scary kind of heading into uh, the playoff pitcher for the NFC right now. But yeah, I'm not, I, I, I would like to see some more consistency from Dallas, but I'm not really quite sure uh, if that's going to happen here. I do think that, you know, their ceiling outcome is still potentially the best team in the NFC from my perspective that, and, I, and I'm not changing that kind of based on this matchup here. So, uh, so yeah. we'll see what yeah, happens. Yeah. I mean, the defense is still playing pretty well. Again, like they held, the Cardinals down to a low success rate. And sometimes right. Kyler's going to make, make those sort of plays. And that's all you can really hope for is that uh, things you end up getting more if you, you end up getting more of these big outlier plays, which I think they can produce on offense with the weapons that they have. No Michael Gallup anymore, though. So that's that's something right. to 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 adjust for. Although they've been, you know, they got a lot more reps for these like uh, tertiary and fourth, fifth type of option receivers this season because of injuries that they've had. I think those guys can be OK. Uh, going forward and you know some ways it's good to have like a week where you can almost just rest up and, and get ready for for the playoffs you're not necessarily going to know your opponent but I still think it's it's good to have that 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 time ready to go uh let's hit another sponsor here manscaped is back probably yes. part of the uh, I actually mentioned new year's resolutions I was gonna say part of the new year's resolutions here uh cheers to 2022 Oh, this is all about resolutions. And resolutions you can actually keep. How about upgrading your grooming routine for the new year? Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to make the ball drop. Get it? Whoa. Testicles. Ball. <laughs> uh, into 2022. The cleanest ever. The cleanest ball drop ever. Set your new, your first New Year's resolutions with good intentions and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. With our exclusive offer, go to manscaped.com and use code PFF for 20% off and free shipping. 
the Performance Package 4.0, the Lawnmower 4.0, electronic, elect, electric trimmers designed to trim hair on loose skin, advanced skin-safe technology reduces cuts and nicks all over. It also comes equipped with a 4,000K LED spotlight. This is also good in the emergency situations. You know, during the winter, if you have a power outage or something like that, go ahead and grab your Lawnmower 4.0 and uh, make your way out of, uh, out of harm's way there. Uh, Ultra Premium Body Wash from Manscaped solves three three in one. Uh, save you some time and get you all shiny and cologne infused for the uh, for the winter season. Get 20% off and free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code PFF. It's New Year, New Me in 2022 with Manscaped. All right. Wow. There we go. Manscaped. Okay, let's implications here but again a game that kind of two teams that no one really cares about even though the Raiders keep on winning games <laughs> so the Raiders uh at the Colts win 23-20 despite being eight and a half point underdogs and my numbers had it 21-13 so even a little bit wider than this here and I have to say here the thing that happened is all football guy models just went up in flames in this one and you knew when Adam Schefter sent out the tweet in the morning about the fact that the Colts were 9-0 and when Jonathan Taylor hit 100 yards this season, you knew this was going to happen. Jonathan Taylor, somehow, even though according to the models, football guy, football guy models, there was a 0% chance of this happening. Somehow, 0% chance of this happening according to the 9-0 and models. Um, Jonathan Taylor got his 100 yards, and they still lost, still lost the game here. So what? how is this possible? Can you help explain this to me as someone who believes that 100 yards means an automatic victory? Yeah, I think it was because he only got 20 carries. I think if he gets like 22 uh, or yes, 23 the, carries, that's when that's when the that's, automatic yeah, win happens. Yeah, there's a secondary so, one. It's like one of those flow right. charts where – did you get 100 yards? Yes. And then did you Does still your lose? Does your quarterback still suck? Yeah. Did you still lose? <laughs> did you – the rule of 53 or 56 or – it changes depending upon the results of the game or whatever that right, rule right, is. Right. They probably didn't hit that one. They didn't hit that one, right? Exactly. That's That was the main problem, of course. I mean, this, this seemed like it was kind of the quintessential Carson Wentz – game in my opinion obviously he had you know some decent spots the the end of first half drive when they actually scored a touchdown I thought was a really good drive from him but outside of that you know lucky lucky touchdown to T.Y. Hilton oh yeah that was ridiculous hands. that was absolutely uh, that ridiculous was, so that was you know obviously like his one really really solid play uh, from a passing perspective he did have a couple you know throws once again on that uh, touchdown drive to end the first half, but then uh, took the sack on third and six, basically to move him out of field goal range in the third quarter. A uh, number of other really poor plays, 16 to 27, only 148 yards. And this was kind of the question for the Indianapolis Colts, going back to the football guy mentality and stuff like that. But it's like, if they get down early uh, and they're not able to kind of just ride Jonathan Taylor, uh, you know, in the second half, can Carson Wentz actually bring them back? And it seemed like for the most part, uh, I, I, you know, I don't think he's going to actually be able to, especially in the playoffs. So I think it's maybe a little bit concerning uh, from that perspective for the Colts as they head into the playoffs here that uh, we kind of know who Carson Wentz is right now. And we're just not going to, he's not going to be something that really elevates this overall offense. And I think that's, obviously going to be the detriment of the Indianapolis Colts here in 2021. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's like the the Bengals thing to an even greater degree. It's like, can you stack four solid Carson Wentz performances? Because right. he did bring them back against the Cardinals, I would say. Like, there were right. a couple of scoring drives there in the second half that he was almost completely responsible for. 
that helped bring them back with a good defense. So they, they do have a, a defense that can perform well, a defense that can be opportunistic as far as takeaways are concerned there. I think there's some yeah. stickiness there, especially with Darius Leonard and the way that he forces fumbles. There's definitely something. He had an interception too, right? Yeah, he yeah, yeah, he did. He did. Although he got juked. Was it him that got juked by Carr on the, in the pocket in that last play where the, I think so, the throw yeah. to Renfro? Um, which is interesting about the Renfro thing too is like, they're actually glad that he got touched and that he was down because if he would have scored, like the Colts, the Colts, Colts could have had a ball. chance to, to, to come back. So that was actually like an ideal circumstance for them that he ended up getting getting touched on that last play and they brought it back and they could kick the field goal um, at, at the end of the game. Um, so yeah, Carr had a 53% success rate versus 38. Neither guy graded that well because Carr had three turnover worthy plays, but he made that big play at the end of the game. And it's kind of interesting. Carr's like evolution, whereas kind of you want to get rid of him. Or you, or you want to keep him? I think now he's kind of in like a, a building block type where if they're if they're hoping things will turn around, they're going to want to keep him. It's weird how his, his opinion on him can fluctuate up and down, despite the fact that his numbers are actually pretty even throughout. Like he's not even a Baker right. Mayfield who jumps up and down. It's more like just the team performance seems to jump up and down depending upon what they're doing. And again, they're going to have a play in your end game Sunday night football, uh, which will probably shape his performance way. I mean, his perception way more than it should going forward. Um, the COVID hangover type of stuff and Carson Wentz, I'm only going to speculate that on that only as to say maybe we shouldn't be speculating so much on what's going on there. We, we have very few players who have been cleared within a week and come back to play, so I, I'm not going to build too much into that. Uh, I don't know if you have an opinion on that or anything else for this game. Yeah, I don't, not a ton, right? I do think, like you said, dealing with a really small sample size, at least from the COVID perspective, but I think, you know, Maybe at the quarterback position, I think it would probably be less of a concern than other spots. You think so? But, um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it was weird. It's one it's of those weird. Like things, last so. season when Cam stunk post COVID, it's like, does he have COVID fog or whatever? It's like, right. oh, like you know, he has Cam. Like he's, he right. has Cam fog that, <laughs> right. that just ends up clouding his his perceptions a lot of the time. So again, I would just say. Wentz said it didn't bother him. Tyreek Hill said that he was winded. It's like, yeah, you know, you know, some guys are going to be bothered. Some guys are going to be less less bothered. It's just the, kind of the way it goes. All right. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles at Washington football team. Philadelphia closes a six-point favorite. They win 2016. I had it 22-15, so a little bit wider there. Um, Hertz bandwagon is back, especially after the, uh, the Hertz bandwagon literally uh, crashed and almost crashed on top of him as he was getting off of the field. So everyone right. saw, saw, saw cool under pressure there from, from <laughs> Jalen uh, Hurts. And I watched a decent amount at the beginning of this game. I felt like they were kind of unlucky and the, 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 and the football team was getting lucky to stay in this one as much as they were early. Um, so Hurts wasn't great, but again, he's had a couple performances. I think he was better in this week than he was last week, where a bunch of people were jumping on the Hurts bandwagon last week, and he was kind of meh. This one, I felt like he was pretty good. Uh, zero turnover with the plays, only took one sack, had a 74 grade, .4 EPA per play. Like, he played solid, solid, solid in this one. Um, and Sirianni, I'm not sure what to think of the guy, but again, they went for it uh, with one or two yards to go. And they converted those, and then they failed from the 24-yard line. But again, you know, net, they, they gained probably more than 10% in win probability in all these different types of plays. And that's a good thing that they're going to have to do going forward. 
And uh, Taylor Heineke and the Washington football team is officially – it's kind of th- – that they've really swung back and forth this season and perception has gone right. on them. Uh, what, any, any thoughts on the Eagles and maybe their playoff chances is probably the most interesting thing here. I don't really know. I mean, they have a decent front. So if they can get pressure on opposing quarterbacks and then grind out games on the ground, I do think that they can upset a team or two. But they definitely have lower upside and are probably one of the teams that people would prefer to play here uh, of the choices available. Yeah, definitely. I mean, <clears throat> obviously, Jalen Hurts has been you know, way better than what I think Philadelphia fans would have expected here in 2021. I do think he is a piece that they can build around. I just don't think that they have uh, those pieces necessarily in place to really be successful here in the 2021 playoffs. So I agree. I do I do think that they are definitely a team that people are going to want to play. I think they, you know, a lot of teams think they match up well against the Philadelphia Eagles. They don't really have, uh, you know, the big-time play capabilities, or at least they haven't shown it whatsoever here really in 2021. So, so grinding out a victory in the playoffs, maybe they can do one, but uh, it's definitely the team that you just don't see getting getting at all hot enough to actually rattle off four straight victories. So definitely I think they're a good match for a lot of teams in the NFC, and I think they'll be definitely one and done here with a lot to build on heading into 2022. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Jalen Hurts, is he or is he not the guy conversation has been a week-by-week discussion. I think, you know, the the Eagles, if you're smart, you're you're maybe opportunistic even looking at quarterbacks because uh, as part of the rationale for why I thought Hurts was a good pick is unless you know you have that guy, I would never shut that door. I would never shut that door. But you should be very, very happy with what you do have because when we're talking about, like, these guys who are available, whether it's Kirk Cousins or Jimmy Garoppolo or, you know, do you, Baker, what do you do with Baker Mayfield? Like, I don't know. I might have heard rather than all these guys. At least you kind of know what you're getting a bit there. I'm not saying you definitely would want him versus, like, a Kirk Cousins. Um, but, you know, especially considering contract, I'm not against that. Uh, right, I think Hertz gives. I think Hertz is like has one of, like, the best floors in the NFL, yeah. I would say, from the quarterback position, right? So if you have the team to actually – be successful around Hurts. I think he is like your ideal quarterback in a situation like the Indianapolis Colts or something, right? Like I do think yeah. you would definitely want him over a guy like Jalen Hurts. So in a lot of those situations, I do think you can get uh, potentially the right string of games together to actually win four playoff games with a guy like Jalen Hurts. I just think he needs a little bit more around him. And he has he has the offensive line a little bit along the defensive front. It's just the secondary, and I would say you know secondary receiver that they really need to actually hit 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 on, especially. But um, in a lot of ways. Like, um, I could see, you know, them making a pretty significant jump a la uh, the Cincinnati Bengals if they do kind of have uh, an answer there at the wide receiver position. Of course, there's nobody like Jamar Chase in the draft here coming up in yeah. 2022. But uh, I do think that there are definitely some pieces that could be put in place for uh, the, the Eagles to definitely be a contender here in the NFC going forward. Yeah, I mean, Dallas Goddard has ended up being a pretty good secondary option there at tight end that a lot of people don't have. So that's helped. But, yeah, the, the, beyond – uh, Devonte Smith got Jalen Rager. That's a disaster. Uh, okay, let's move on here to the Bucks at the New York Jets. The Bucks were fourteen point favorites. They win by four points on a last second ish sort of touchdown drive from Tom Brady, twenty eight to twenty four. My numbers had them being eh, right around there, twenty six to twenty one. The Bucks being a better team. Uh, it's kind of funny to me that Brady is like been completely eliminated from the MVP conversation, despite the fact that he's been killing these last couple of games. I mean, he's having strong games. You have no Chris Godwin. You have Antonio Brown, you know, stripping, stripping down and getting off the field. Um, I mean, again, it's like, we don't become 
it's like it was like with the COVID speculation. You don't want to become clinical psychologists here with with uh, with uh, Antonio Brown. But my thing when it comes to Brown, maybe we'll touch on Brown a little bit first here before we get this out of the way, is that like he he refused to play for the Steelers in Week 17 when they needed him. Right? It's not right. Like, everyone's saying well the other stuff is off the field stuff that he was doing, and I just feel like in this sort of game. Okay, maybe I'm galaxy braining this a little bit here. But again, I never would have signed him in the first place. But like if you're willing to deal with everything you had for him, like maybe they actually kind of need him for the playoffs. Like maybe you would be, maybe you would even say, we'll hey, you know what? Misunderstanding, you know. Uh trust me, Brady would take him back. Brady would take him back in a second, right? Um he might sneak him in. He might sneak him into the games right. game sub somehow, <laughs> like in uh his TB12, his TB12, yeah. like he'll bring in TB12 supplement wagon or something, and then sneak Antonio Brown in, in the back there. Because they, they might actually need him going going forward. I think they definitely need him going forward. And I do think that is, you know, really concerning takeaway from the Buccaneers, especially in this particular game, right? Like, they don't, I mean, they're going to be relying on Rob Gronkowski way too much here in the playoffs to actually get some separation downfield. And that's just not a likely matchup that he's going to continue to win. Obviously, he has been somewhat successful here in 2021. But at some point, the wheels are going to fall off uh, for Gronkowski. And then it's really just Mike Evans, who I don't necessarily think... Uh, plays in the same manner that Brady has been successful in the past, right? Like he's kind of more this deep ball, contested catch sort of guy in a lot of situations. Brady needs somebody that can get separation underneath. Antonio Brown obviously provided that. Uh, and they don't really have that question answered here as we head into the playoffs. So I do think it's definitely concerning. They are a team that uh, is definitely wounded here. Uh, and I think they, they could easily be, you know, bounced from playoffs here relatively quickly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like okay, Brady is is a great, great, great. Right, you know, right. I don't quarterback, right? So he can he can elevate guys a lot. But I think it's still fair to say, like, if you look at how much he's won throughout his career, he's probably is kind of like one of the luckiest quarterbacks. You could be lucky, it, like to have that to be that successful. You have to have some combination of luck and some combination of right. being of being of being great there. Okay, if he wins a Super Bowl this year, <laughs> okay, without the number one seed. Without Chris Godwin, Levante David is on IR. I don't know when he's coming back uh, for sure there. With Mike Evans and Rob Gronkowski, who in any, like, four-game sample should each miss, like, a game because that, right, that's, right, that, right. That's, that's them. <laughs> With Cyril Grayson and the uh, Tyler Johnson and Keyshawn Vaughn right. and the, 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 the ghost of Le'Veon Bell running around, <laughs> do, shake it, shake it out there, like getting zero yards after contact and shake, shaking out there. If he wins a championship this year, then he, he sold his soul to the devil, okay? Like there has definitely been something that's going on here. This is going to be a rough road for, for the Bucks. And I, I, you know, I was one of those people who thought they were the best team in the NFL, but now with all this happening, man, it's tough. It's tough to really right. give them that great of a chance of getting even getting out of the NFC. Right. Yeah, I think I think you know the Packers are a better team. I do think the Cowboys and a lot of outcomes, especially if they're playing toward their ceiling, uh, are probably going to wipe the floor with the Buccaneers. So yeah, I am. I'm, they're a team that I'm not buying into heading into the playoffs. I can definitely say that much here. But I think we're missing and glossing over the real point of this game. This was Zach yes. Wilson's second Ooh. best PFF passing grade of yes. uh, the 2021 season. So I think. Uh, I think he's officially arrived as a legitimate quarterback in the NFL. 69.5 PFF passing grade, right below average. 
just, just things you love to see headed into 2020. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is all about confirming your priors here. And if you, <laughs> if you like Zach Wilson going into the season, which, you know, I did. I wasn't super high on him, but I become, you know, I get caught up in my contrarianism sometimes. I become higher and higher right. on him as people start to attack him. Then I'm just going to ignore everything that happened before this game. And, you know, and I, you know, I watched this one and he, he looked good. He looked good to right. me. Now, maybe, you know, he was getting the ball out on time about 2.6 time to throw. Uh, like you said, 70 grade in this one. Uh, he only had above a 65 passing grade once in his first seven starts, and now four out of the last five starts he's had above a 65 passing grade. So there is something to build on. Now, Darnold did give some of these flashes, uh, his rookie season in particular. I think Darnold was something like the best-graded quarterback the last six weeks of the season, his rookie right. season. But what I'll say the difference between Wilson and Darnold is that Darnold always, to me, played like a quarterback – who had more talent than than he really did. Like, he would try to make plays where he wasn't quite fast enough and he wasn't quite quick enough. He didn't quite have a good enough arm to make plays. I think Wilson legitimately has an elite arm, legitimately right. has, like, elite pocket movement when he's avoiding guys. Like he, he avoided guys a lot and, and, and ju- can juke guys in the pocket. He doesn't necessarily run down the field that much, although he had that huge touchdown run last week. But he does have those elite traits. So at least he has that going forward, more so than even someone like Tua last year where you're wondering whether or not the Dolphins should look at a quarterback. I think part of it is like you start to get a better idea of how the traits are going to translate on the next level. Uh, Because even Burrow, like his rookie season, he doesn't have a great arm, but you saw him make plays with his legs. You saw him anticipate and do things like that where where he can make up for for that sort of stuff. So, yeah. So RIP to friend of the pod, uh, Ben Solak over at The Ringer, who wrote the – who turned around Zach Wilson's season by by trashing him. Right in the hit piece. Yeah. Also, you know, um, condolences to the – the Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence uh, apologia out there because they were pretty much uh, low on Zach Wilson. So you hate to see it, but uh, it, that's the way it goes. One um, other thing, Boomer. This is another. This is another thing that's going to hold down the Bucks going forward. Is you know the Bucks like Jesus? They, they just, just they, they just give up like all kinds of plays, uh, all kinds of win probability. They um what was it i think it was a field goal attempt on fourth and six down seven at one point another one fourth and four um actually they went four and fourth and four so they picked up some win probability there but then they kicked it another time so just yikes yikes and then the jets play at the end of the game where they it was a sneak on fourth and two which set up the possibility for the bucks to come back i was like this is the most ridiculous thing i've ever heard why are you doing that but then sala explained after the game again there's a little bit of bus throwing underness, it seemed like, of maybe Mike LaFleur on this one because he was saying that that was an op. It was a play where it was designed for a like a jet sweep type of play to Barrios, which would really look like it would have been successful. He probably would have scored a touchdown on that play. Um, where Zach Wilson had the option of sneaking it if he thought it was available. And his point after the game was like, maybe Mike should have. He didn't say this explicitly, but he was like, maybe they should have you know, imparted on Zach a little bit more of like, yeah, you have the option, but don't take that option. Like, right. don't take that. In this particular situation, two yards to go, don't take that option. So it sounds like Zach may have actually made the mistake of of sneaking in that situation, but he should. But the, Sala was like, he should have. He shouldn't have. He shouldn't have made that. But I think overall for the Jets, like this is a pretty good outcome for them. Lose the right. game, stay in contention for the number three pick. Um, and Zach Wilson looks good. 
right? That's, right. I feel like right. they, again, is another team that, that can build going into next year because things were looking kind of dark for them, and Jets fans had already given up on everything, on life, basically, a couple weeks ago. Right. I mean, they, they've done it before. They probably give up again, but uh, at least they have hope for one week, right? So. <laughs> yeah, they have, hope, they, have hope, they have hope for one week. And that's, that's especially if you watch Trevor Lawrence play, then you, you feel a little bit better. You feel better uh, about that, yeah. Having, having Zach Wilson here. Okay, let's hit another sponsor. Let's hit DraftKings. You want to make some dough. Uh, we've got the final week of the pro regular season coming up. College football is heading into the national championship. DraftKings Sportsbook has an unbelievable offer to get fans all in on all the exciting action in the football calendar. New customers can bet just $5 on any football team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets. So let's wind down the season with a big win. If the sports book is not available in your state, you can still find your way to the winner's circle. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings daily fantasy football contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any football team, college or pro, and win $200 in free bets if they're victorious. That's promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wagered. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And last year, Western and Southern want a chance to win the ultimate game day feast, whether it's football success or financial savvy. Winning starts with asking us questions. Would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with Al on Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Western and Southern is teaming up with PFS very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Every submission earns you a chance to win the ultimate feast to celebrate football's favorite Sunday. We'll cover your catering up to $2,500, coordinate your order from a restaurant near you, and have it delivered on February 13th, 2022. And don't forget to check out Chris Collinsworth Podcast and Western and Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernandsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, that's westernandsouthern.com slash askchris. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. All right. Um, okay, this one we could get through pretty quickly here. Although, again, playoff implications in this one, shockingly. Panthers at Saints. Saints, six-and-a-half-point favorite. They win 18-10 to 10 in a snoozer. I did not watch much of this one. My adjusted score, 16-12, so a little bit more narrow, though not a big deal here. It's weird that we're talking about the Saints here as a potential playoff team because no one really cares about them. Right. Um, but they're probably at like a 30% chance of getting in in this. They need to win at the Falcons, and they need the Rams to beat the 49ers. So not like two probable events. Now, when you combine two probable events, it's still improbable. But it's better than having (laughs) – that was analytics there. That was analytics 101. But it's still better than two improbable events that need to happen here. Uh, Both teams had a 32% success rate, so it was a bunch of yuck there. And Sam Darnold not closing out the season in style here. 38.5 grade, negative .36 EPA per play. Uh, And, you know, Panthers and Giants are just in a a tailspin right right here. Joe Judge and uh, Matt Rule are competing on a week-by-week basis for who has the least credulous case for the fact that things are really turning around for their franchise. Right, (laughs) Right. yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I don't have much to say about the Carolina Panthers, unfortunately. I don't really like the New Orleans Saints either. I do think a lot of teams are obviously wanting to play them in the NFC playoffs as well. Uh, Sam Darnold, thankfully, my one takeaway from this game, Sam Darnold, uh, I think, cashed me my first ever under 0.5 passing touchdown bet. So uh, <laughs> shout out to him. Definitely appreciate it. Thank you for the 38.5. What's there to odds do you get on that? What's there to odds It was like plus 175. It was great, but it was uh, yeah, edgy. Yeah. Well, I knew it had to be my plus. Seat. I mean, less yeah. than if you're, yeah, That's like, unless it's Trevor Lawrence, then it's <laughs> right, like minus right. 1,000 on something. Although he did get a passing touchdown this he week. He did get a passing touchdown this uh, week. Thankfully. I was so disappointed so. by that. Um yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we definitely want the 49ers in the playoffs and not and not the Saints. So hopefully that will happen. Although the Saints have always been one of those teams I thought has been undervalued, so they have a little bit of a spot in my in my heart. Okay, Jacksonville Jaguars at New England Patriots. Patriots closes 17 and a half point favorites. That was actually moving up. Supposedly some big money came in on the Patriots at 16 and a half, I think, is what I read on the on the Twitter bot. Uh, they put up a 50 burger, 50 to 10, and it was 49 to 7. So it was almost bad. Like the fact that the adjusted Drilled score it. is that bad, and the adjusted uh. score is like downweighting these outlier plays. So the fact that the Jaguars were worse according to the adjusted score, and the and the Patriots were right. almost as good. The Patriots had a 67 percent success rate. That was the highest single game success rate since 2018 and they were running the ball 50 percent of the time and they were still hitting that that mark so that just shows you how good they were and the jaguars defense have been the only thing that had looked not god awful this this season uh mac jones it's kind of like the brady situation with mvp the mac jones situation now with uh offensive rookie of the year is that he had his he had the highest epa and the highest EPA per play in the highest PFF grade this week, yet Jamar Chase just went nuclear. So it did not matter at all for his chances, and he's still falling out of there. Uh, so Trevor Lawrence, we talked about him a little bit, hinted at that. So now he's lost to Davis Mills, Zach Wilson, and Mac Jones, other rookies. Um, he had, what, three interceptions? And two of them were his fault, but he also had another dropped interception. And, again, he scored that touchdown, which really made me upset because a friend of the show, although although Michael David Smith, MDS as I like to call him, of Pro Football Talk, although he hasn't been on the show, so maybe I shouldn't call him friend of the show, friend of friend of mine on Twitter, uh, he tweeted before the game, this is why I really did not want to see a touchdown pass here. If he did not throw a touchdown pass, then he would have been the third QB in NFL history to start 16 games in a season and throw fewer than 10 touchdown passes. The others were Trent Dilfer in 1995 and David Carr, in 2002 but he did throw a touchdown pass and he got to 10 touchdowns with 18 interceptions this season and it was a right. screen pass it was a 30 yard freaking running back screen pass to dare ogogwabale or whatever his name is ah i was so annoyed i'm sorry i'm sorry that happened to you kevin i mean i i, I do think i mean i would have liked I'm to hating, have it too. I'm I hating that's, that's pretty here, good so yeah. that's pretty good company at least to be in right i mean trent Dilfer won a super bowl David yeah. Carr, I mean, his brother's pretty good, I guess. So maybe there's a good <laughs> yeah, so maybe there's it. a younger Lawrence out <laughs> <Right>. there. <laughs> cool, that could be even he... better. I know there's an older Lawrence that's like, uh, you know, a pretty good painter or something like that. So maybe oh yeah, yeah. The guy like the guy like looks like the guy looks like you could get a secondhand high just being near right. him, like some, <laughs> somehow. The older the older Lawrence. So yeah, David Carr, nice job in NFL Network, which I think you know what's weird is I was um, I was down in Florida last week. And there are like Trevor Lawrence subway commercials 
on all the time that I never that I'd never seen before talking about it like he's he's like uh, talking about his hair and like we're interrupting my hair commercial to talk about Subway or something it was like this weird sort of thing that's going on there so uh, the guy's got a future beyond football probably like David right. Carr David Carr very very <laughs> good looking gentleman and Trevor Lawrence and that hair yeah, I'm sure he can find his way on. I don't know if the long hair would work on the set, but maybe. We'll see. He could get a haircut himself. He could get a haircut. That's true. So the Patriots are basically locked in to the wild card now. They need to win in Miami and have the Bills lose at home to the Jets. So they need the the, the those two things to happen for them to win the division. Um, we'll see if they can make some noise in the playoffs. I mean, it's, it's weird how I felt like I was going to have to be battling Patriots lovers and people have kind of fallen off of them um, after that loss to the Bills. So things can sw- swing around pretty quickly. What, what, what do you think about the Patriots' chances in the for a Super Bowl run here? Any anything anything? I I'm still I I mean obviously if I've we get Belichick Bowl Brady up. Super Bowl, I'm going yeah. to protest. Uh, I, I'll I've be outside protesting. Yeah. I've been low on them all season. I'm not. I'm not gonna like over overreact to this performance or anything else. I do still think they're somewhat of a vulnerable team in the AFC. Of course, I think the AFC in general is probably down a little bit this year. But I just don't see them being a team like Kansas City. I don't see them being a team like Buffalo. So I think it's gonna be one playoff win, uh, and then and then a loss there in the division round is kind of my expectation. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely prefer the Bills. Prefer. The Chiefs even prefer the Titans, prefer the Chargers. Okay, I pretty much prefer anyone to move on other right. other than them. Right. Um, maybe the Raiders. I don't need to see the Raiders in, in the in the playoffs. So I'll give you that. Uh, okay, so let's go to the Titans. This is a game I did not expect this outcome here. Titans, the 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 Titan. What, what, what do you call Titans fans anyway? Like the Titan. Um, do they have anything like the steel? Those, I like, don't know. Like I'm gonna have to go Nation to a game or Raider yeah, Nation, have... like Titan, Titan up the Titan up. Vrabel's volume the... producers or something. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. What Vrabel's uh, uh, penis sacrificers. Oh, yeah. You remember he said he would get, he would let, he would, he, he would sack, he would let us someone cut oh, off yeah, cut his, his, his uh, wag as, for uh, one for one Super Bowl or something like yeah, that. Yeah, for so. for a Super Bowl. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was that was kind of out of left field there, but there was context. Okay, so the Miami Dolphins at the Tennessee Titans, Tennessee only three point favorites in this one at home, which I pointed to as part of the reason for why they were maybe an overvalued team is because they were only a three point favorite at home against Miami, and they stuffed it straight in my face here. They owned me thirty four to three, a little bit closer in the adjusted score, twenty six to twelve, so a little bit more more narrow of a victory, but still healthy, healthy victory. You know, not a great success rate, only a 36% success rate for the tennis for Tennessee. And I think that's really the story of this game. Uh, the Dolphins are toast or forked 30% success rate. Tua was awful. So uh, maybe I'll, I'm probably gonna throw the Dolphins into my offseason series here on what these guys are going to do, because a lot of questions there, obviously there's been a Deshaun Watson talk, but they don't have their first round pick. And there's a, everything else that's going on there. But I think maybe the underlying story here, and again, sorry to go negative on you, on your Titans. I mean, you, you guys really helped your Super Bowl chances by getting that number one seed, probably, uh, with the victory over the Texans, who beat you last time. Right. Um, but 36% success rate, I mean, they still didn't really do that much offensively, honestly. And it wasn't like an, as impressive of a victory as the final score. Uh, but defensively, it's been good. So maybe that's what you have to hang your hat on here because I'm not sure even if Derrick Henry comes back from that Jones fracture, which is a treacherous injury to come back from, whether it's really going to necessarily snap the offense into being a top-10 type of offense. Right. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I mean, I think, the you know, 
performance last week against San Francisco was much better from an offensive output perspective, especially with A.J. Brown being heavily involved. This one I didn't watch too much of, but yeah, strong defense performance. Uh, I don't really think, hopefully they don't go back to just featuring Derrick Henry if he does come back from uh, injury here in the NFC or AFC playoffs. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, I'm, I'm not sure quite what to make Miami Dolphins or Tua in general here as we head into 2022. I don't know uh, what they can actually do to probably turn this organization around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, this is one of these like small sample sort of things, but that Jones fracture, which is actually, I've actually had a Jones fracture, believe it or not. It's like the oh, end really? of the, yeah, it's, it's the, bo- it's, it's the, it heal, it doesn't heal well. It's the very end of what they call the fifth metatarsal. So on the side of the foot, it's a little piece of bone that kind of sticks off on the, on the bottom part there. So, Again, lots of people break this. Normally, no one's coming back in this in the same season from it because the the risk of re-injury is pretty high. It's a slow healing thing because you don't get a lot of blood flow in that area. The only the extremely small sample because the only person I can remember coming back is Des Bryant tried to come back, and he just looked like trash when he, when he came back. Um, I'm not sure if he ever even looked like the same player again. Quite honestly, after he came back from the, he came back from that. So I, I just would be. I'd be a little hesitant to think that Derrick Henry should necessarily come back. Cause honestly, like, like Dante Foreman is looked okay and they're running the ball. Okay. It's really right. still the passing game that has not been coming around for them. Uh, okay. So Vrabel coach of the year. I know that you're like Zach, you, you're, you're, you have your take your Zach Taylor tweet that you have to stick behind here, but I can't see, I feel like Vegas and these odds, not Vegas, I should say, but the betting odds in these different places, I feel like they're probably least accurate being able to predict what's going to happen on coach of the year because the the rubric for how you're measuring these coaches, like there is no rubric. I think the rubric for measuring these coaches is like you look at the results, you look at the team, and then you're like, how the hell did that happen? Uh, I guess we must be the coach because we because we don't know what the coach is doing. So I think the Titans have a pretty good case. And I think Vrabel may be a little bit undervalued in some of these markets because you look at the, them clinching the number one seed next week, uh, which is very likely against the the Texans. I think that's going to be a really good case of the injuries, you know, the the Henry injury being overweighted, right? The, the in the impact of that, and people saying, "How the hell did that happen?" Let's give Mike Vrabel some some love here. Right. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, outside of Zach Taylor, I do think Vrabel's probably should be number two. I would give him more credit than a guy like Bill Belichick in a lot of ways. So yeah. uh, the odds don't make a ton of sense, and I do agree with you, at least handicapping some of these markets. And it's, and it's the same thing with uh, MVP, right? It's, uh, it's, it's, I think it's MVP kinda... is a little bit more clear. Like, it, like right, it's, yeah, it's, it's right. been very attached to EPA per play. Despite the right. fact that everyone likes to think MVP is a narrative award, I don't think it is. I mean, Coach of the Year, I believe, is definitely a narrative, narrative. award. Although, you're, although it has been very closely linked to wins over over preseason right. expectation, so right. you know that is part of it. Right, right, right. And that yeah, would be I, exactly. I think I, but, and I, and maybe I try to lump all those awards into like the one category, so I just like don't uh, focus a ton of time or energy on it. Um, but I do agree with you. I do think probably if you're choosing one, it is MVP. Probably makes the most sense, at least from a modeling perspective. But uh, there's a lot of outside factors as well that we're just like not yeah. fully taking into account. So right it, now so. we have Zach Taylor plus 150, Lafleur. This is a DraftKings yeah. plus 175, and Vrabel plus 350. I mean, if I'm gonna pick one of those, Belichick's all the way at 2,000. He fell, fell fell off a cliff. So I mean, maybe I'd throw something on Belichick just for like if he could get some boomer votes and then end up getting in there. Um, but Vrabel's probably, he's pretty boomer friendly. I would say he is like, I think, friendly. He is I, th- I think some, some guys definitely like him. So that, that has a chance there too. Uh, Vrabel probably be my, my best, uh, risk reward bet in that circumstance. Um, 
Okay. Rams at Baltimore Ravens. Rams, seven-point favorite. And they win by a single point, 20 to 19. My adjusted score is much wider, 29 to 21. Uh, Stafford, okay, so there's a couple different narratives coming out of this one. One, people are pretty low on Stafford, and, like, they can't win with him because of the up and downs here. He, you know, had the pick six. He tossed one into long double, triple coverage to OBJ because OBJ demands that you do that. Obviously, I know that from he demands that you throw awful picks uh, to him. But then OBJ made a couple of big late plays with a fourth down conversion and then a touchdown to get ahead. And then Vaughn Miller, first time I think I've heard his name called since he's come to the Rams, made a sack to, to end the game there. So the two things coming out of this, one, Stafford can't win. But I think he's still second in EPA per play this year. So I think I'm a bit, I'm definitely higher. I was definitely higher on the Rams coming into this game because I had them as being marginally better than the Packers. Although I'd probably flip the Packers just in my own like personal adjustment above them. But I still had them being like a top five-ish sort of team. People seem to be pretty down on Stafford because of all these turnover-worthy plays. I think he's had something like 18 turnover-worthy plays in the second half of the season. Um, But... You know, do we trust the larger full season sample size a little bit more and say that he still has been the second most efficient quarterback in the NFL on a per play basis? Yeah, I mean, I would say that you do obviously need to trust the the full sample size of things. But there is this other element of people wanting to rail on Sean McVay for being, you know, first first half of the season sort of guru from an offensive scheme perspective and then that thing kind of gets figured out basically but why uh, would that happen the that, that's what i always wonder about this the like, like give me a credible give me a credible <laughs> reason like he's not coming up with new shit every year right like like what would be the i credible think he reason? i think yeah i think there's wrinkles basically that are added for sure in the off season that are, are that can be somewhat successful early on why would he be before... different why would he be any different than any other coach like <laughs> i don't know like it was i remember because it's such a the... unique scheme that uh that it takes some time for, you know, defenses to basically get film on or something. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I've heard maybe, the narrative, I mean, it's possible. But... It, 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 right. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's possible. It reminds me a little bit of, it was like my favorite split that people used to hang their hat on. Actually, it was, it was Joe Goodberry. He was a friend of the show here. Uh, everybody's so, a friend of the show. Right? Everybody's a friend. Actually, he hasn't been on the show either, but he's a, he's a friend of mine. So I feel bad, like burying him on this one, but because I think this was really his thing as a Bengals guy, but it was Andy Dalton and it was common opponents. Common opponent. So, like, the second time he played the same team within a 12-month time span, he was really, really bad. So the theory was they, like, figured him out. And I was just like, why would Andy Dalton be any worse than anyone else? Like, what would be so unique about him that you would figure him out? And, of course, like, the moment that became popularized, he started, like, crushing in these second these com- second common opponents here. So I'm not saying it's on that level. It's not on that level of weird splittedness. But what do you think? What, what, what do you – like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I'm buying it, I guess, at this point. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I mean, it is, it is tough to kind of, like, break out those sorts of things. And then, obviously, you can find splits in other – trends to back up any point so i do agree with you i mean I think well, at least there's a time a element. at least there is a time right? out to this one so we have seen it but right. it, it'll be interesting to see i mean there was you know boomer there was a nice boomer call though here on fourth down from mcveigh uh they had the ball fourth and two down 10-0 at their own 47 yard line and this was in the second quarter with two minutes to go and they punted the ball uh, 7.4% win probability, of cor- according to Ben Baldwin. Friend of the show, Ben. I have to throw that out there now every time. Right. Ben, ben Baldwin's uh, bot on that one. So, again, McVay is going to continue to do that. Uh, okay, the second 
uh, this is I'm going back to my natural instincts as a hater here on this one. The second narrative coming out of this is like Tyler Huntley is a NFL starting quarterback or should be considered to potentially be an NFL starting quarterback. I mean, I I like the guy UDFA, you know, but um, is anyone really going to go like, would, okay, I don't I don't think the going to get traded anyway because they're going to keep him as a backup. But even if they could, like, would anyone want to go all in on a kind of low upside Lamar Jackson? I mean, he has a 65 passing grade this season. He has three touchdown passes and four starts, three interceptions. He has only two big-time throws in four starts with six turnover-worthy plays, and he's taken 15 sacks in his right. four starts. Right. Uh, his EPA is basically flat on 200 dropbacks. And he's a UDFA, which I think is important for our priors, although people are like, hey, you know, I had Tyler Huntley as my number three quarterback in the class. Uh, whatever bullshit's coming out there now. But, sorry, that might be you. So I should, maybe I should be saying that. It was that, not but. me. I mean, I, I do think he, he actually did kind of well from, uh, like, the text analytics perspective in a lot of ways from the things that we did with the draft, kind of similar to what Jalen Hurts did. Uh, so I think from that perspective, I was a little bit higher on him. I at least expected him to get drafted. Uh, he did not. But I agree with you. I don't think anybody's really going to be uh, moving toward making him their his them, uh, him their starting quarterback. I think obviously we would have seen him get drafted if that was the case. And I do think that there's still this idea of people not really wanting to shift to that to the style of offense that's really going to allow him to be actually successful in a lot of ways. Because yeah. you need you need almost somebody you know some, and that and this is kind of why it works for Baltimore because they already have Mark Jackson. So Tyler Huntley can be successful in this offense. They don't necessarily have to change anything in order for them to kind of play in the manner that they do. Uh, but I just don't see another team potentially shifting their offense to potentially, you know, play from that perspective. So I don't think he's going to be a starter yeah. here anytime soon yeah. in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, it's a good story, but, you know, let's right. not let's cool our jets on that one a little bit there. Um, okay, let's, let's get through these last few games here. Texans at San Francisco 49ers. San Francisco closed as a 13-and-a-half-point favorite. It was 15, then Jimmy G went out. It went down to 12. That's where I mentioned uh, best bet there. I was still going to go with them at minus 12. So we'll take the the process. Is it kind of a process L, but we'll take the, the the win on this one because the adjusted score is only 18 to 12 on this one. They were kind of lucky in a way to get the cover. It was 7-3 Texans at halftime. It was 10 to 7 Texans right. at the end of the third quarter. Um, Texas only average. Oh, no, sorry. It was 10 to seven San Francisco at the end of the third quarter. The Texans only averaged 3.8 yards per play, but they converted a handful of third downs to play early Lance. I think he looked a little scattered, but he at least pushed the ball down the field. He had a 12, a dot, but 3.3 seconds on his time to throw versus 2.6 seconds for Jimmy Garoppolo this season. Uh, but again, 12 a dot versus 7.6 for Garoppolo. So quite a big difference. And I think really the reason Lance was able to perform well in this game, which may not happen going forward, was that he was only pressured three times on his 26 dropbacks despite holding the ball that long. A- any takeaways for this one? I mean, San Francisco has about a 60, 65% chance to get in because, again, they need only one of two probable things to happen. I mean, well, it's one of two things to happen. They need to beat the Rams or the Falcons beat the, the Saints. Right, yeah. I think the Falcons are going to beat the Saints, so I do think we're going to see the 49ers in the playoffs no matter what happens. Uh, you know, obviously it was exciting to see Trey Lance play a little bit here. Um, like you said, I think some good and some bad, bad definitely, but uh, we'll see what happens here in Week 18 and who's actually going to be starting. We'll see. So. I know there's going to be some takes out there that they should, like, turn to Trey Lance instead of Jimmy Garoppolo right. for the playoffs. More upside, more upside. So No, they can't do that, right? <laughs> I don't think they they're going to do that. I don't think they're yeah, going to do yeah. that, no. Yeah, so. I don't think they're going to do it either. I think Lance, like, displayed enough to say, like, maybe he's got a future, and he also displayed enough, again, holding the ball, 
not being very successful on a play-by-play basis. He had some big plays to say, like, you're, you, you, it's not, not ready. Not ready for that yet. Right. Okay, uh, Broncos at Chargers. Chargers, seven-and-a-half-point favorites. They win 34-13 to at a more narrow at 21-10. to It was a game of late downs and special teams. There was a kick return, touchdown for the Chargers, a muffed punt that they recovered. Similar success rates, honestly, and not really any big mistakes on either side, but the Broncos, awful on late downs. They even completed a pass on fourth and two from two yards from scoring and, and didn't didn't get a touchdown on it. <laughs> completed a pass to Drew Locke on that one. So they lost a ton of expected points on late downs. The Chargers gained a ton. And uh, my only question on this one is, has big field goal gotten to Brandon Staley? Because we had another situation here, fourth and one from the one-yard line, up 7-0 where they they kicked a field goal here rather than stuffing it in. Yeah, I mean, big, I, field, you goal. Love, big field goal, big field goal. Can't, I mean, he was trying to appease trying to appease the uh, you know, the haters basically, the fourth down decision gurus and those sorts of things. But I yeah, mean, maybe you could if you like I feel like Staley is using a little bit more of a mental model than quote unquote people give him credit than, for it, right. than we think. And I think on this one he might have been saying, well, we're playing Drew Locke and the Broncos, so therefore, like, I don't need to press my luck here. When in reality is, like, when you're at the one-yard line, it doesn't matter who you're playing or what the underlying dynamics of the game are or, you know, everything else. Plus, they're only seven-and-a-half-point favorites, so right, they're right. not that big of a favorite here. All right, let's uh, – again, Chargers, we want to see them, I think, beat the Raiders next Pull week. Pull it off and get for in, us. And, and get, right. Yeah, and get into the playoffs and um, have Herbert play there as playing like a top-five guy. All right, last game, and not a lot to say here, but the Lions and the, at the Seahawks, the Seahawks were nine-point favorites. Another second 50-burger of the week, 51-29. to 29. Adjusted score, 41-26. to 26. It was kind of a vintage Russ game, 82-grade, half an EPA per play. Got DK Metcalf back in there. Uh, a lot of smiles here. Uh, I think I'm definitely going to discuss the Seahawks on one of the future Friday pods about what they're going to do going forward. Do we care about anything that happened in this game? Does it have any implications for Russ staying, Russ going, anything like that? Or I, I is mean, it just boost, like at least he yeah. showed that he's not awful? Yeah, he showed that he's not awful. Boost his trademark value. He's still going to be out of here in yeah. 2022, in my opinion. So Yeah, I, th- I think so, too. It's a weird situation that has really come to that. But... I mean, it, it is a little bit hard optically, and I'll talk about this more. We've talked about this even before of, like, not having a first-round pick. Right. But right. you got to get, like, a good first-round pick in, in this draft to potentially have here. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for tuning in, listening to it all here again. I'll be back on Friday. Make sure you turn into that. I will probably break down the Browns more than anything else. I will discuss best bets, which we had a, a 3-0 and week this week for yeah. me on the best bets. Jerk. So, you know. Yeah, it's all about, you know, paying for those Christmas presents there. Yes. And, uh, of course, it's for entertainment purposes only, everyone. And then I'll, I'll, I'll discuss with Ben. We'll either get him on on Friday to discuss his stuff or uh, I'll relay it to you on the pod. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I'll be talking at you in a few days.